coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. We're entrepreneurs, so we're opportunistic. So one of the things that it's a guiding light for us, we have we have kind of four key value sets. One of those is follow the signs. And so, which which sounds, you know, spiritual, philosophical, but it, there's there's a very pragmatic side to it, which is which is staying open. It means watching for things, the indicators that show pathways or 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 discourage pathways. And and I've always used that as a way to discern around deals we've done. And then we also look for, so what another one of ours is leave it better than you found it. So we look for opportunities where when we come, when we can bring our talents to bear, we can actually make it better. We can actually see a path to making it better. So solving a problem. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Past the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Philip Berry, who is the founder and CEO of Northwind Pharmaceuticals. Philip and I had a great conversation, and I think that he is the entrepreneur that I have interviewed that had the largest family that that he grew up with. Uh, he's actually one of eight children, so big, big household, big, big family gathering, so very, very cool. But we, we talk about all kinds of things with Philip, and he has some great insights into you know building business and sort of getting out of your own way. So one of the, the big common challenges that a lot of entrepreneurs have is the feeling of, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. You know, I, why is it that I, I feel like I can do this? There, there's all of those negative feelings, those negative thoughts that every single entrepreneur has. Why am I doing this? You know, I, am I crazy for this? Philip and I talk about some of the things that he realized when he sort of got out of his own way and his business really absolutely started flourishing when he did that. So great, great tips, great, great conversation with Philip on all types of different leadership philosophies and again, sort of getting out of your own way and, and you know, getting rid of that own personal self-doubt. So if this it resonates with you at all, I certainly... I cannot express enough. You need to listen to this episode with Philip Berry. I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. I'm one of eight children. Wow. Uh, I'm the and I'm the oldest of eight children. And um, my um, my and my next sibling is four years younger than four years, and then there was a pretty steady stream of the younger ones from there. Wow. So. So dinner tables at my house, and we, we often had dinner together, and those were an event. I can imagine. I got that's like that's they like were, Thanksgiving dinner every every night. That's a lot of food. It, it was, and we we always uh, we still tell stories about various meals, and yeah, they're, they're kind of legend in our family. So that that's actually a great opening question because it's um it's both a great memory and also one I, I laugh about because of of just the uh, the chaos that was always at our, our dinner tables. I'm sure. 
you know, there's the, there's the whole dynamic, you know, first sibling and, and, you know, where you are in that, in that rank. Have you ever done any type of research into, you know, other people that were in similar situations to yours where you're, you know, sort of the, the, you know, the head of all of these, these children? I mean, any, any thoughts or insights into that at all? Oh my gosh, we could we could go on for hours and days on that one. I you know I've not read anything formally on it. I, I you know you see the 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 firstborn and the order uh, birth order kind of theories and so forth, and you know the firstborns typically have that that ownership and that kind of got to do the right thing and that type type A driven type of uh, follow rules, but try to do your best. And, yeah. Uh, or, or they go the other direction. We go the prodigal son direction typically. So I, you know, I, I think that um, for me, it was more about the relationship I developed with my, my mom and my, my, my dad early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had four years kind of to myself and then I was the oldest forever. And I was often more of a, um, I guess, a, a second father in many ways to my younger siblings. So I, I kind of have a, a sense of responsibility on that side. But from an entrepreneurial perspective, Interestingly enough, there's been a lot of good stories around whatever, but one of my favorite entrepreneurs is J.D. Rockefeller, uh, which is an, a curious one. To, and I just reread his, his biography recently. And I, I don't like to class myself, classify, classify myself in the robber baron bucket mm-hmm. uh, necessarily, uh, but I think that from, a, um, from a, a driven perspective, from a sense of mission and purpose in what he did and a desire to do as much as he possibly could, um, I, I think there's some some common ground in that. And I I sometimes identify with uh, with him in some of those ways, if if not in others. So I'm I'm sure we could find a whole list of very interesting personalities over the years that would would fit uh, fit the bill. <laughs> yeah, that's I, that's actually on one of my lists to uh, to listen to. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, so listen to his biography. That that is an interesting. It, it is a, is a great. I've read it. Uh, I've read it once, and I've listened to it twice. And okay. I go back to it every so often just because it's got so much, such rich history and the storytelling and just that time. Yeah. That era yeah. was was something else. Yeah, they they actually had a lot of one of the bases of their operations was here in Cleveland. So there's a lot of, I don't want to say ruins, but like old, old mansions in certain areas here that are just amazing, amazing buildings. So it is. I, w- I was actually, interestingly enough, about two years ago, I was through Cleveland and then and that was the, that's where it started. I mean, he built yeah. it uh, from, from Cleveland so that the history there is great, but I actually went and I can't think of the graveyard, but I went to the graveyard. It's right off, yeah, not far um, from downtown. Oh, I can't remember yet. Elliot Ness is buried there. Um, it's yeah, oh. it's mass. It's massive, and yeah. and there was a they there was an area where he he had built. Of course, you would expect it to be grand and whatever, and the the obelisk. And there's a number of the, the family members there, but it it was um, it was a little bit of a, a pilgrimage in a sense, just because uh, I had um, read so much about him, and it was just interesting to kind of go to his final resting place. Yeah, uh, I I don't know why it just kind of called me, but yeah, Cleveland's a great market that way a lot of a lot of history a lot of, yeah, there really a lot is. of history in the area and it was lakeview lakeview cemetery so yes lakeview that's right yeah yeah, yeah i just drove by it i don't know two days ago three days ago something like that so <laughs> um so so growing up in such a such a large family did you have any entrepreneurial tendencies or anything like that that you know when you were growing up were you sort of always looking for ways to be able to make money or anything like that did that strike you early 
You know, no, I, I wasn't. Um, I mean, I guess I had that sense of, you know, we didn't always have everything we wanted. You know, there was certain restrictions on it. My dad was a was always chasing a, a dream. So we moved around a lot uh, as he followed his various ventures. So I guess I always had a sense of the possibility of starting something new, of always pursuing something. A lot of things he did on his own. Uh, so whether it was cabinet making or do, redoing aircraft interiors or just a number of very creative, how do you get going and that sort of thing that he yeah. tried along the way. So I always had this kind of um, anything's possible kind of approach. And But it wasn't until my senior year of high school that I decided to even go into business from a major perspective. Until then, I thought I'll be an engineer. I want to build computers or airplanes or something. And then business caught my eye. And then, then it was, well, what kind of business? And I landed in a marketing major because I thought, well, I, I don't, I'm not interested in accounting and finance doesn't sound interesting. So marketing seems kind of like something. And then from there it was, all right, I, I see possibilities in this. And, and then I always aspired to have my own thing. I didn't know what that meant, but I wanted to have my own thing and kind of kind of always thought about that really pretty much from once I got into business school on, it was always part of me. And so did you use your marketing background for anyone else or did you start your own thing pretty well right out of college? No, I, I took, I kind of took the long way, a long road to this, this point. I started out selling IBM computers. Okay. Uh, so, uh, which got me into, you know, sales and I love the computer thing. So the technology, yeah. and I spent the first 10 or 12 years of my life building, uh, practices at branch offices and practices for other, uh, consulting and technology oriented groups. And it wasn't until probably the mid two thousands that I, I really saw kind of a pathway for me to kind of go out on my own. Up until that point, I built it, switched gears a couple times, and then probably wrote a dozen business plans that I didn't execute. Not, not the right time, too scared, you know, third, third or fourth child on the way, whatever it was, there was always some reason not to pursue it. And then um, mid-2000s kind of really got the message that it was, it was time to move in that, that direction very distinctly. And what did that look like for you? What was that inspiration that, that, had you move in that direction? I, I call it the being cast upon the rocks phase of, okay. of my life. So I, we moved back to Chicago in 2000-ish. I, I went through a series, probably four straight jobs in four or five years where I, it was one year after another. I hit about a 12-month mark, get walked out the door. Another 12 months, walked out the door. Some of them were higher risk. Uh, some of them were going through turmoil. Uh, in maybe some places, I just wasn't the right fit. Um, yeah. And so uh, so really for me, the way it looked was I got to a point where I'd watched my income come down enough that I thought, well, all right, this is really, I've already taken the hit over about uh, seven years in this. And then the other side of it being the message of being, look, maybe, maybe you need to go figure something else out. This same path, this grasping for more salary or more whatever, waiting for somebody else to pick you, maybe that isn't the answer. And I, I finally said, okay, uncle, and uh, decided to kind of take the plunge and, and found a pathway to it. Ah, that's, that's great. Yeah, thanks for being open with that. So what was, what was, the, um, what was those initial stages like for you? And, and is that the business that you're in today? Did you, did you start something else or is it, is it what it is today? Uh, it's pretty much, yeah, it is what it is today. So I, I always, so, so this is, a, this is kind of interesting because it's been a real process for me. So I, 
I, um, I came out of the technology side of the world. So for me, I always thought to be an entrepreneur, you have to invent something. You create something, right? And then you go out to somebody else and you say, I want you to invest in my something. And then together we go out to the market and we IPO and whatever, we go do something. And so I had this really weird notion all along of I've got I've to create a piece of software. I've got to create a this or created that. And I, and, and I just tried and tried and, and I wasn't the guy to create something like that. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. And so I, my business plans were always around that. Here's a piece of software. Here's a you know a new widget, and then and then I just couldn't get over that that phase of it. In the early 2000s, I came across a group that was buying up companies, and I got involved in development there, and actually was doing the front end work on M and A work on the we were buying long term care pharmacies. And so I got out and I said, this is kind of interesting. And then I watched how the deals were put together because before I thought man, how do I save $10 million to go buy a company? Uh, that's going to take me forever. And, um, and then I learned about leverage mm-hmm. and, and what it really takes. And so um, my first venture was actually buying out one piece of one of those businesses that we had rolled into this company. And it was a little, little something thrown in the corner. We, we hadn't done anything with it. It's a little distribution business, but, but I saw a pathway and I was able to muster enough of uh, enough to leverage to get a deal done and uh, set me off in that direction. So um, it was one of those things where I had to reach that point and then I had to see a path. And then you say, OK, here we go. We're going to we're going to place our bet all chips on uh, black 18 and off we go. And, and that's kind of what we did. Love it. I love it. So, so just for the listeners too, when you're, when you're talking about leverage, you basically are saying that, you know, you can, you can get a loan for a certain LTV. So if you want a million dollars and you get a, you know, 75% LTV, then you have to come up with 250,000. They will, you know, finance the other 750. And then now you have your million dollars to be able to buy whatever it is that you're trying to buy. Correct? Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Exactly. So we, we're familiar with that in real estate, right? So we, yep. you know, you think of that, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to come up my whatever percent down and then I get the loan on it and they secure it, this, that, and the other businesses, of course, can be a little bit trickier because banks look at those differently. Mm-hmm. Is this have assets? Is it, you know, is it cash flowing and all that kind of stuff? And, and then as someone who's buying it, you're thinking, what am I getting? You know, my is it are the customers going to disappear? And I've been involved in one, in deals that, that didn't go well, where I I it was a, just I just didn't play it right, and and others where it was it was just enough to get us to where we needed to go next. So that that's kind of how I made my entry into independence, if you will. No, I love that. I love that. So did you change the business at all, or is it is it pretty well, you know, pretty well what you bought? You know, did you did you expand on it or anything like that? 
Yeah, it's it's a dramatic change. So when we we bought that, we had I had one employee. She she came along with it. We were in kind of a closet. This is my office you're looking at here, and so we kind of had it started in a bit of a closet. And uh, month one was I hope I can make my mortgage payment. And so it was uh, it was just enough. It had a couple a handful of customers and a bit of revenue and kind of a walking start. And um, we we've changed it. It's it's totally different today. In fact, I, I I may have a couple. I do have that one employee. She's still with me, and I have a couple of those original customers. But everything else is pretty different from where we were. We we start out doing distribution to basically student health centers and urgent cares and some basic medications on site for in-office dispensing. And we've evolved now to our business is really a, a really broad-based distribution from a warehouse and warehouse and, and distribution perspective, pharmacy. We actually have a, a pharmacy services administration benefit that we offer self-funded employers and then a host of, of technologies and other services, clinical services that we deploy into um, basically self-funded employers who are trying to to provide a pharmacy benefit to their employees. So it's a it's a different animal, a very yeah. different animal than it was in 2008. So what were some of the uh, obviously you 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 sort of shifted or I guess you could say grew out of that initial, you know, that initial business. What were some of the things that you some of the hurdles that you had to jump over. I would, I would imagine there's all kinds of regulations and you know, all kinds of things that are going to be blocking you. What were some of those big challenges that you had to, to figure out how to navigate? Yeah, the list is long. I mean, yeah, regulatory is a big challenge. Small, small fish in a massive pond. The drug distribution business is a, is a you know, $600 billion, $700 billion industry just in some of the spaces we're in. And so it's just, it's massive. And so the hurdles were big, but you know, I think, I, I think for for our conversation, the, the biggest things I had to overcome first were myself, and and then um, and then second was the ever present specter of of cash flow. So after I got out of my own head in some ways, then it was it was a persistent and perpetual battle with for cash to keep feeding the engine, the ebbs and flows of deals, and then making the payroll, the payroll, the payroll, which was, was almost haunting to a, to a point. But I, I spent the first four years kind of wafting back and forth with, is this business even enough to mess with? Should I be doing something else? I bought a little electronics company on the side because thinking maybe this is the way. And I had a couple of different deals going and uh, was kind of hedging my bets and, and in and out of this. And and it wasn't until 2013-ish or so that we came across a real deal. Uh, one of the big players in this employer health space was being closed down, McKesson Bottom, and they're just shutting down their $80 million business, which just wow. seemed unbelievable to me. You know, you why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Still yeah. a good question. But it created this massive kind of scramble in the space. And we picked up a big client. We picked up a, a huge deal. And um, 60 days, you know, my, my million dollar company brought on a $500,000 a month client. Wow. And, um, and it, it, it just about killed all of us. And midway into the, the 60 days of implementing that, we got all the sites on board, they're on board. We're just going, wow, what do, what do we do? Because it was, I mean, it was all we could do. I found myself in another city pitching it again because that business was actually being bought out right as we were bringing them on. Okay. And so I was trying to resell and protect it 
and they ended up going a different direction. So I went from here to, to there to there within 90 days. And it was, it was really difficult. But what it did do is it, it showed me that there was a real market that, that I had missed. And it energized me for my business in a way that I, I, I just didn't know was possible. Because now I looked at it and said, there's really something here. And it wasn't just because there was revenue. It's because there was a real need in the market. And I just got a glimpse of it. And getting beyond that in my head, the cash flow things and the logistical things, and the stuff that brings you to your knees when you're, when you're in the dead of night, you're wondering, okay, what, ha- what do I do tomorrow? That's, that's all part of it. But, but convincing myself that there was something significant here, that, that was the single biggest challenge and biggest opportunity that I, that I came across. Yeah. So, so that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And that's something that a lot of, I mean, myself included, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, you know, the, the limiting beliefs. Are you a person who seeks out any type of mentorships or anything like that? Did you have any, any help with, you know, sort of getting over that? Or was it just, you know, the fact that you sort of, you know, you stepped into, you stepped through this door and could kind of see what's on the other side. And, you know, that was all that you needed to be able to get rid of all the self-doubt and I can't do this and I'm not good enough or what am I doing? You know, <laughs> all of those things, right? Yeah, my, um, so I, I didn't go out. I had a I had couple of people, my, my wife, uh, and of course, the, the unwritten story in any of this is, is your partner. And she, she was all in from the beginning. And I, uh, without that, there, there's no sticking to it. You can't, uh, you can't fight to a two-front war. So she... She was, for my own, pers- my own personal sanity, absolutely essential and, and, a, and a big believer and a big cheerleader, as well as just a smart woman helping bring ideas. I also had a um, college professor of mine who was, who was an ongoing friend and mentor over the years and a incur- great encourager. But I didn't do anything um, formally outside as far as groups. It was probably three years later that I got invited to the 10,000 small businesses program, Mm -hmm. Golden Sachs. And that was a great, that was kind of my first foray into a, a, for lack of a better term, but a peer group Mm -hmm. and a lot of other entrepreneurs and and business owners that we kind of gathered around what they called a growth, a growth planning process. So it was a, it was just a great way to engage with people, but, but we were already kind of heading down a different path and that just hit at the right time from an acceleration perspective. But uh, the getting through the, you know, the, the on your knees moments, that's a, that's a, that's just an intimate and, and personal process where you've got to have, uh, I had to have just the right couple of people there that, that yeah. could, could hold my hand <laughs> in yeah. the moments. So it, it sounds like, it sounds like you, you do have a, a true partnership with, you know, with your wife and she, she knew you know, all of the, the ins and outs of what was going on. And, you know, you, you were sharing all of those stories because I, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they get into those situations and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to share, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to try to handle all of this on my own and I don't want anybody else to worry, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're just bogging yourself down with that. So. Um, oh yeah. So- well, and you know, Matt, there's the other side of that is particularly for us men and I, and we can talk a lot about this, but I, I think, I think women have, have some, some stronger traits in this area, but, but men, we, we want to we shoulder it all. We, it's, it's, I got to do it myself. And our society reinforces that to, a, to some degree. And so we, we tend to want to take that burden and, and carry it across the line. I've got this. And, um, and, and 
I like it. You know, that's right. Be, be strong. But at the same time, we, we need to recognize that, you, you know, you, you don't and shouldn't, shouldn't try to go it alone because, mm-hmm. because it's, it's a sure path to, to self-destruction, to not acknowledge where you, where you need help and that those who love you need to be brought along with. And I, and I was just blessed that my wife, who is a steady hand and has been a steady supporter through the whole thing, and, and has been all in in terms of the vision herself. So very gifted. Uh, I've been very blessed with that. No, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, having that support group, incredibly, incredibly powerful. Talk a little bit about the the types of clients that you that you work with today. Like who who is it that you're you know your ideal client? Who if, if there's someone out there listening, wondering whether or not you might be right for them, what uh, what would you explain that as? So so we we work with self-funded employers primarily who are sponsoring an on-site or near-site health center. So a lot of our distribution happens through what we call clinic management groups who put on these, put these on-site near-site health centers to serve. And usually it's 500 to 8,000 or 10,000 employees with a self-funded group. And, and then we bring a complete, um, we call it strategic RX stewardship, but it's a complete uh, program for managing on-site medications, medications to, to the patient's home, the employee's home, or even the pharmacy service administration. So today, a lot of people call it PBM. Uh, there's a whole other world of that. We, we don't like to call it pharmacy benefits, but, it, but it's kind of how do you adjudicate claims and manage that. So, so we look for groups who, who are trying to find better ways to get value out of their clinics and serve their, their uh, employee populations. And then we also bring in clinical programs. So we help cohorts of diabetics, COPD and asthma. We've got, we've got 13 clinical blueprints we deploy through health centers to basically support the engagement of patients and the improvement outcomes. So saving money on drug spend and helping get better health outcomes. We, we live in a space that's geared towards uh, employers that are trying to solve those two problems. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, so basically you're, you're dealing with larger companies where there's, again, a, a large pool of, of uh, people that are on their, their healthcare program. Correct. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. You mentioned a couple of times, you know, you're involved in technology and, and that, or you were involved in technology. What does the, what does the, I guess the, the customer experience look like, you know, y- using your systems? Um, is there some type of an app or some type of a web interface or anything like that that they use? Or what is, what does that experience look like? Yeah. So our, ours is a, a high, a, a complex high touch process <laughs> yeah. and we have several different pieces and places. So we have um, dispensing software that goes into clinics to facilitate inventory management and drugs going out the door. We have our pharmacy systems to manage patients and orders and prescriptions going out to patients at home. We have a we have warehouse uh, automation and uh, you know ERP, if you will, to facilitate the, the management of our inventories and so forth. And then we have software that administers claims and adjudicates and that sort of thing. We're actually working on what some of that looks like externally. Because today there are kind of pockets of it. So you know, what, what a patient, what does a patient app look like? How do we present some of this to the to the employers that we serve? How do we streamline things that are happening at the clinic side? So so we're actually interesting. You you ask about that because we're actually in a pretty major development process to bring some of that together in new and interesting ways. Um, because today it's it's a lot of one-on-one interaction with our clinicians, with our patients, and then with how we fulfill from a from a client, our client perspective, if you yeah. will. So you are getting back into your technology side of things then. Can't, can't get too far away from it. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, I, I do. I do love it. Uh, and there's so many opportunities, so many just great opportunities with it. And we, we become used to it. So everything kind of becomes, all right, what else can I do with this thing? Yeah. And how can we do it better? So yeah. it just makes a lot of sense. So, so in your business, now that you're going down the, the technology path, do you guys have any type of, a, I don't want to, not a framework, but like an inspirational thing that you look for? Like, hey, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there you know, where, where you sort of see these, these different, different ways to be able to do things. Is there anything that, that you sort of can describe, you know, how you go about, I guess, qualifying and disqualifying, you know, different, different things? Is there, is there anything that that sort of jogs or brings to, to light? Yeah. So, so we, we've got a real clear sense about what our, where our, what our value proposition is and where we fit well. We know where we don't fit so well. But we're, we're entrepreneurial, so we're opportunistic. So one of the things that it's a guiding light for us, we have, we have kind of four key value sets. One of those is follow the signs. And so, which, which sounds, you know, spiritual, philosophical, but it, there's, there's a very pragmatic side to it, which is, which is staying open. It means watching for things, the indicators that show pathways or, or, or discourage pathways. And, and I've always used that as a way to discern around deals we've done. The building we're in right now was a, is a 1952 former Catholic church and school that we renovated. I did something similar with a, a 1952 or 1962 former General Motors plant up in Anderson, oh, wow. Indiana on another flyer. And so sometimes they present themselves and you look at it and you think, I don't know what I'd do with that. But if you follow through, kind of walk the path, you'll, you'll see things that are indicators in that. And then we also look for, so what, another one of ours is leave it better than you found it. So we look for opportunities where when we come, when we can bring our talents to bear, we can actually uh, make it better. We can actually see a path to making it better. So solving a problem with it. And then for us, it's about being a good steward. So Good stewardship is not just, okay, I've got money. What do I do with my money in a good way? But it's, it's using our talents. It's using uh, the talents and these, the resources of our clients and our employees and looking for places we can, we can really deploy that most, most effectively. And then our last one is showing up every day. So, so we kind of bring these, these values, if you will, and we kind of overlay them on, on opportunities that are out there. But I think the fundamental side of that for us is once we identify it's in our I guess our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. The other, the, the fundamental part of this is saying: is is there a problem to be solved, and how how do we go about doing that? And and so then you start seeing places where um, usually we solve problems in an analog fashion. So some of the clinical things I referenced, those have grown out of basically pragmatic issues our clients are having. And then once we've kind of found a, an analog pathway, then then we go look for something digital to either automate it or extend what that, uh, that solution might be like. So I, I would say that's kind of way that our stuff typically evolves. I, I rarely, well, it never happens where I'm, I'm sitting in the dark and, and lightning strikes and I have yeah. some brilliant idea. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that evolves across a pathway and it requires that I'm listening, both, both listening with my ears, but also with my heart, my head, with, with what's presenting itself. And, and we try to foster that. It's not an easy thing to, yeah, it, it sounds kind of soft and fuzzy, but but I think when you sit down and really think about it rationally, there, it makes it makes a lot of sense in terms of discerning opportunities. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it sounds again, it sounds like you've done a great job, you know, fostering a culture and a team there that 
again, supports you and, and has, you know, their eyes open you know, as well. So uh, any, any insights into, you know, how you've built your team or, you know, how you found the people that were so key in supporting you early on? It's a, it's a great question. You know, you know my, when I first started on the path, my mission was how do I do more with less? meaning less people. I was, I was scared to death of payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, I had watched a couple of meltdowns in the past with too much overhead. And so for years it was kind of, I mean, I would just anguish over any additional hire. Mm-hmm. And then about the same time that I went through that, that moment of, of seeing opportunity, I also started to realize that if this was gonna be any fun of any interest it needed to get way beyond me. And I started having a lot more fun at that point because I started then looking at people to bring in. Meaning every time I came across someone, it was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I think, I think they would be a great fit or, or what could they do? And, and once I kind of got over that threshold, then the money things, uh, yeah, you still got to be smart about how you do that. But then it became more about almost like a game of saying, okay, how do I find a way to get her in here? Because she yeah. would be awesome. And, and so I kind of started building these lists where I, anytime I came across anybody that I thought was just special, had something strong, some gifts and talent, made an impression. And I just kind of kept that. And over the years, most everybody in here has, I've either come across or worked with in some way. And I've kind of been a bit of a collector that way. And I like to go back to, to people that I have a sense for and I've seen in action, either I've seen struggle or, and, or I've seen succeed. And then I try to, to find a place where they could come in and do something different. And one of the things for us, it's always, I mean, we have, we have positions, but almost every interview, my, my counsel is, look, we have a job to do, but your first job coming in here after you kind of do some of these things is looking to say, what, what else can I be doing? Because yeah. the best jobs uh, are always the ones that you build. You build to, you create, you evolve. And, and all my leadership has basically been people who came in and essentially carved out a place where they said, all right, this is what I do. And I, I love seeing that. So that's, that's probably my two cents on people is, is you've got to embrace the people side and then uh, you got to have people come, who are willing to come in and, and, and carve it out and build it with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. So, so sort of entrepreneurial themselves where they can see those problems and figure out, you know, how to get whatever it is they need to get done. You know, done, yes. So not not a not a perfect approach, but that's that's kind of been the, the best way, at least for us uh, to this date, as far as I can see. I love it. I love it, Philip. If uh, if people want to learn more about you or your company, what would be the best way to to reach out and get in touch? So nwpharma.com is our our website that kind of tells all the story of strategic arc stewardship and kind of what we're doing and how we're doing it. You know, one of my things, Matt, I don't think we've talked about, I've, I've actually published two books of my, of my own that are really around, I call them the kind of business meditations, if you will, but they're out, outshoots from a, a blog that I've been doing since, um, well, really about the era that I just described to you. So seven or eight years ago, when I kind of went through that, that moment, I started doing kind of a weekly blog, which is at philipberry.com. So we're always looking for people to, to join the, the journey with us and new ideas, new thoughts, new input, new conversations. So I appreciate the chance to be on this and, and uh, to participate in what you're doing as well. No, it's, it's, it's a great story. And talk a little bit about your books. I'm, I'm curious, what, uh, what are the books names and you know, what, what types of uh, uh, people do they serve? So the first one was called Stones Across the River. 
And it's the, it's the subtitle is The Path of Being Your Best Self in Your Peak Years. And it's really, they, they are a collection of, of, of essays, if you will. So it's not in a front to back. You can kind of pick out as you will. But the, 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 the gist of that one is that wherever we are, we can be our peak self. They, they can, these can be our peak years. So, and that can be defined in any number of ways. And so a lot of it is observations around how we can be at our best, how we can show up. How we, how we can do our best with, with where we are and what we've got. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, and I think I was guilty of this, I, I was always aiming for somewhere else. It was always going to be somewhere in the future that, that I would peak, I would get my best, I would right. whatever, whatever that was. And then I found that it kind of evolved, that kind of evolved. And then I found real joy is, is finding your peak today with wherever you are. And so, so that's the first one, Stones Across the River. And then every day is game day. That, that came out of phrase kind of in the first round because, you know, that notion of showing up, every time we, we show up, we have a chance to, to be our best. And so uh, I think I always thought of, you know, when I was younger and playing soccer or basketball or whatever it was, and the, the butterflies that always came or track on that day where you had to perform. And uh, it, it was the thought of you walk into this building or you walk onto a stage or into another office and, and how do you, how do you approach that as this is game day? I'm, I got to come in and I, I got to show up this and I got to, I got to perform. And so the second one kind of goes down that path of, of how we show up, who we're showing up for and, and how we prepare to make every day game day. I love it. I love it. I'm going to have to check those out. I'm, I'm a huge believer in, you know, trying to stay as positive as possible, right? You know, especially being, you know, an entrepreneur, there's always, there's always going to be good things, bad things happening all the time. So, you know, you just need to be able to embrace, you embrace that, that journey and, and make the best of it, you know, that you possibly can. So I'm, I'm always, I'm always looking for, you know, other people's perspective on that exact same uh, philosophy. Because I, you know, if obviously if you're, if you're looking at things positively, no matter how bad it is, you know, you'll sort of inspire everybody else who, who you may be leading or who may be you know, behind you. And, you know, that can help spawn the solution to whatever it is that you're looking for. So um, well, you're obviously a guy who keeps feeding yourself on positivity and optimism and, and, op- and possibility. And I think that's what we have to do in our, our spaces. We have to find ways to feed the goodness within and the, the energy within, because there's, there's a lot of reasons to, to feel like crap. I mean, there's a lot of struggles. So you, you might as well pursue the things that will help you endure them when they come because because they will come. <laughs> yeah. yeah, couldn't agree more. Philip, this is fantastic. I wish uh, wish you nothing but success in the future. And uh, this is this has been a great, great interview. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, I, thank you for the, the time and the questions, Matt. It's nice to meet you. And I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. No problem. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.